0: New Testament scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Passover and the uh, festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, you will always have him with you, and you can help them anytime you want to. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will always be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand them over. This is God's word. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, good morning again. Uh, It's so great to be with y'all and to have this privilege of bringing you um, God's Word this morning. Uh, Before we dive into our text, I'd love for y'all to join me first in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to believe and to receive the truth and encouragement that you have for us in this Word on this morning, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? That's a question I'm sure we've all asked ourselves before. We've all at some point wondered whether the sacrifice required to accomplish that goal or to acquire that thing Or for that person is really worth it. I know I've asked myself that question many times over the past couple of years as we've worked hard to get West Charlotte Church off the ground. Is it worth it? Dealing with all the unique and complex challenges in a work like ours. The energy-extinguishing and headache-producing issues that we've encountered in this church-planting journey have led me more than once to wonder, is it worth it? Is devoting my life to this call from Jesus really worth it? You too, maybe even now, may be wondering if obedience to something difficult the Lord is calling you to in your life is really worth the sacrifice of time and energy and resources and comfort that it will require? Is it worth it? Well, I believe that our text this morning invites us to enter into that question. And it does so by opening a door for us through this beautiful picture of one woman's display of sacrificial devotion to Jesus. A beautiful picture that is going to be set in stark contrast to the rejection of Jesus by others. In this King's Cross sermon series through the book of Mark, the King, Jesus, is at this point in chapter 14 near the tail end of his royal march towards his cross. And as we the readers journey with Jesus to this final destination, Mark the author, as he's done before in the book of Mark, provides us a sandwich for this final leg of the journey. Yes, I said a sandwich. Now not a grilled cheese sandwich or a po boy sandwich, not a PB and J or a BLT sandwich, but a literary sandwich a structuring of the passage with two clearly related scenes sandwiching a middle third scene. And so here in our passage, the the two clearly related scenes or the bread slices of our passage, if you will, are found in verses 1 and 2 and then in verses 10 and 11. In verses 1 through 2, we see the chief priests and, and the teachers plotting Jesus' murder. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see Judas, who was one of Jesus' disciples, basically contracting himself out to assist them in this plot. And again, it's these two clearly related scenes that serve as the top and the bottom slices of bread in Mark's literary sandwich. But we all know that it's not the bread that tells us what kind of sandwich we're eating, right? Right? It's it's what's in between the sandwich slices that tell us what kind of sandwich we have on our hand, right? A grilled cheese sandwich is a grilled cheese sandwich because what's in the middle. Very good. <laughs> a BLT sandwich is a BLT sandwich because what's in the middle? Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Very very good. And so when we come to Mark's sandwich, our primary focus must be on what's in the middle of the sandwich, in the middle of the passage, to really understand what Chef Mark is whipping up for our understanding. And what we find in the middle in verses 3 through 9 is, again, this beautiful portrayal of one woman's sacrificial devotion to Jesus. That's the meat of our passage, if you will. And the two slices of bread, uh, the bitter bread of rejection and betrayal on the front and back end of our passage actually serve, I believe, as contrasting flavor intended to help us better savor this woman's devotion. And this is a devotion that we will see is first conspicuous, conspicuous, that just means out in the open, a devotion that is second, costly, And finally, a devotion that is Christ-focused, conspicuous, costly, and Christ-focused. Those are the layers of flavor of devotion that I think Mark wants us to savor in this passage. First, the woman's actions are conspicuous. Now, I, like many of you probably, have been to quite a few weddings in my life. And one of the beautiful and special things about a wedding is that it provides a context for the bride and the groom to display their love and their devotion to one another in a publicly visible, we might say in a conspicuous way. Even down to a kiss at the end in front of everybody, right? And likewise, the woman we meet in verse 3 displays her love and devotion to Jesus in the most conspicuous way. Now, verse 3 begins with giving us the context of this conspicuous act of devotion. It tells us that Jesus was in Bethany. That's just like the spot that's a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And it tells us that Jesus, to use uh, some of our urban West Charlotte vernacular, Jesus was kicking it with his homeboy, Simon. Now, his boy Simon had a nickname, and his nickname was Simon the leper. And that just tells us that at least at some point in the past, Simon had leprosy. Someone who bore a visible skin disease, which would have made him both ceremonially unclean, but also a social outcast. And now it appears that Simon had been healed of his leprosy because now Simon is able to kind of play host for Jesus and probably Jesus' disciples with, with him, which he probably would have been excluded from being able to do previously. And it might very well be the case, even though our text doesn't say it, that Simon was one of the many social outcasts who had received a healing touch from Jesus. And Jesus now a friend of Simon's, enters Simon's home and probably bringing with him again his disciples. And verse three describes them all reclining at Simon's table, probably laughing, enjoying some good food and some fellowship with each other. And it's into this context that a surprise guest arrives, a woman carrying in her hand a gift of devotion to Jesus. A gift that Mark describes as an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, I'd never heard of nard before, so I looked it up, right? Nard was an expensive aroma-filled oil that's actually extracted from the root of an Indian herb. And this woman in front of everyone walks straight to Jesus and stands over Jesus' head as he lays on his side, reclining at the table. And it says that the woman breaks open the jar, probably with a loud shattering sound. And and I imagine the pungent aroma of the perfume filling the nostrils of everybody in the room. And the woman reaches out, it says, and pours the perfume on Jesus' head. Now, there's so much right here that we could unpack. But for now, the main thing I want us to see is that this woman's act of devotion to Jesus was conspicuous. It was full of dramatic sounds and smells and sights in this room full of people. Going back to our sandwich analogy. The conspicuousness, the out in the openness of this act of devotion, I believe, is the first layer of flavor that Mark wants us to savor in his sandwich. And Mark enhances the flavor of this conspicuousness by contrasting it to the actions of the chief priests and the teachers of the law in verses 1 and 2 and of Judas in verses 10 through 11. Again, in verses 1 through 2, we find the religious leaders plotting to murder Jesus. Why? Well, because as you guys have seen through the book of Mark, Jesus in his teaching challenged their corruption, right? Which threatened their power. And so they plot to kill him. And it says in verse 1 that they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly, right? We might say inconspicuously. And they did so inconspicuously because they believed if they tried to arrest Jesus in a more uh, out in the open or conspicuous way, what do they say? A riot might break out. Now understand, there would have been tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people traveling into Jerusalem during that time for the back-to-back festivals of, of, of Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And many of those folks that would have been traveling into Jerusalem would have been sympathizers with Jesus. And so in a very real way, a riot could have broken out. And so these religious leaders decided that it was probably best to wait till everybody else went home before executing their plan. But when we jump to the end of our passage, or the bottom slice of bread, if you will, of Mark's sandwich, we see that Judas, one of Jesus' very own disciples, who was actually probably right there with Jesus in Simon's home, this Judas begins his betrayal of Jesus in verses 10 through 11, by going probably inconspicuously to these religious officials to offer his assistance to actually help them execute their plan actually before everybody left and went home. And again, here's the main thing that we should see right now in all of this is that Mark is highlighting the woman's conspicuous display of devotion to Jesus by intentionally sandwiching it between the contrasting actions of those of Jesus, Judas, and the high priests and other teachers. And I believe that one of the things that Mark is teaching us from this is that Jesus will often lead his followers to display our devotion to him in conspicuous ways, like out in public. And this will often run counter to what is acceptable in our American society. You can have all the devotion you want to Jesus in private, right? But don't bring that devotion with you out here in public. Folk get a little squirmy and even hostile when we start displaying what I might describe as PDD, public displays of devotion to Jesus. So don't let your devotion to Jesus lead you to challenge those unethical practices in your company. Don't let your devotion to Jesus lead you to challenge that co-worker or that family member when they make that dehumanizing comment. Don't refuse to come into the office on Sunday or refuse to to play in that Sunday morning game because of your devotion to the call of Jesus to gather with his people to worship on the Lord's day. Oh, and definitely do not let your devotion to Jesus lead you to share the gospel in public. Don't you dare tell folk about Jesus in the break room or in the locker room or the coffee shop or the student union. Just stay away from any conspicuous display of devotion to Jesus and our society will pretty much leave you alone as a Christian. But brothers and sisters... The goal in the Christian life is not primarily to be left alone. It's to be faithful. Amen? Amen. Faithful in our devotion to our Lord, Jesus Christ, even and especially in the conspicuous ways that he calls us to. So I encourage you all this morning to consider the particular ways in your life that Jesus may be inviting you in to offer conspicuous public displays of devotion to him. And some of you know that sometimes this kind of conspicuous devotion can be costly, can't it? Costly. And we see in our passage that this woman's conspicuous display of devotion is indeed costly for her in multiple ways. Verse 3 tells us that the perfume this woman poured out in devotion to Jesus was very expensive. It was financially costly. And Mark underscores the costliness of this offering by recording in verses 4 through 5 the reaction of everybody else in the room, right? Mark says, beginning in verse 4, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume?" It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Again, this woman's gift to Jesus was financially costly. It says it is it's worth more than a year's wages. So let's just think about that. Currently, the median annual income for an individual in Charlotte is right at about $32,000 a year. So that means that this gift was in the upwards of 32 or probably more than that, because it says more than a year's wages, 40 or even $50,000 or more. And understand that a woman during that time was by and large excluded from careers that would even give the amount of income that would be necessary to purchase something that expensive. So many believe this was actually a family heirloom which would have meant that it not only had monetary value, but it also had sentimental value. Some even believe that this perfume could have been this woman's diary, what she would have presented to her husband at the time of marriage. And if this is indeed the case, her smashing this jar and pouring it all out on Jesus signifies that she was ready to give up everything even marriage, even the prospect of having children to devote herself to Jesus. But it's not only her financial security that she lays on the line, but it's also her reputation. Understand that it would have been considered uh, absolutely inappropriate during that time for a woman to bust in on a gathering of men like this. And so her doing that would have definitely put a scar on her reputation. And because everyone in the room thought that that perfume would have been better used if it was sold and the money given to the poor, she also would have been labeled a fool, right? Or even selfish or uncaring, not only by those in the room, but also by others once the word got out. So this woman lays down her financial security and her reputation on the line in her devotion to Jesus. I believe she also lays out her emotional and even physical security as well. See, because of the power dynamics between men and women in that culture during that time, this controversial act done in, in a room full of men would have made her vulnerable to being, you know, at least verbally assaulted. And she is, isn't she? They demean her. They rebuke her harshly, it says the Greek word behind that that phrase rebuked her harshly actually literally means to flare the nostrils. so like angry bulls, they bullied this woman, and she would have been unable to provide herself any real defense, not only because she would have been outnumbered, but also again because of the inequitable power dynamics again between men and women in that society during that time and even in our own day for that matter. And so if we stitch all of this together, we clearly see that this conspicuous act of devotion to Jesus by this woman was tremendously costly for her. And again, going back to our sandwich analogy, hopefully I'm not making you too hungry before lunch. Well, going back to our sandwich analogy, this would be the second layer of flavor that I think Mark wants us to savor in this passage. And again, he, he, he kind of enhances this flavor of costliness by contrasting it to the actions of the religious leaders and of Judas. Instead of them being willing to relinquish their livelihoods and reputations and other forms of security for Jesus, what do they do instead? They do the opposite, don't they? They cling to those things. They, they clasp their cold fingers around money and power and security. Now again, we live in a culture that has little problem with religion in moderation, right? You can do your little Jesus thing on Sunday mornings. And most folks, especially here in the South, won't give you a hard time about that. But don't bring this Jesus into your Monday through Saturday. That might get you labeled as a radical or something like that. It's interesting that our society seems to have little issue with other things in excess. Too much wealth or power, too much entertainment. But it has a major issue with too much Jesus, especially the Jesus that we see in Scripture. And as believers... If we're not careful, we can so easily drift into that kind of cultural default mode. I feel it in my own heart sometimes, sequestering our faith to just Sunday mornings, Monday through Saturday, locking Jesus into a cage, taking him out to play only, you know, in moderation. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, ain't sitting in nobody's cage, amen? And Jesus calls his disciples daily to an unmitigated and extravagant devotion to him that is complete and often costly. So I asked you this morning, what are you holding on to? What in your life have you put barbed wire around to keep Jesus from getting his hands on which of your desires, of your dreams, have you posted a Jesus do not touch sign on? In what costly way is Jesus calling you to deeper devotion to Him? Brothers and sisters, we must always be asking ourselves and one another that question. Amen? And Jesus calls us to offer conspicuous and costly devotion to Him, right? To him, for, for his glory and not for our own. We might say that this devotion must be Christ-focused, christ focus. And Mark presents this woman's act of devotion as being truly Christ-focused. I want you to notice in the text how the woman in our passage is given no name. Do you notice that? And I don't think it's because Mark forgot her name. I don't think he's trying to be disrespectful. Brother, I believe he's intentionally omitting her name to emphasize the complete Christ-focusedness of her actions. I think it's also telling that the woman actually doesn't actually say anything in our passage either. She only acts in focused devotion to Christ. She acts selflessly. She's, she's self-forgetting. She's Christ-focused, we might say. And once again, going back to that sandwich analogy, this would be the third layer of flavor that I think Mark wants us to savor in his sandwich. And also again, Mark enhances this flavor by contrasting it to the actions of those religious leaders and of Judas. It's clear that their desires are completely selfish, right? That's obvious. They're so self-focused that they were willing to murder Jesus himself to get what they want. And I think this challenges us to ask ourselves, why do we really do what we do? Why do we really serve at that homeless shelter or at that pregnancy resource center or with that prison ministry? Why do we really go to youth group or on those missions trips? Why do we really serve as an officer or leader in the church? Why do we really even come to worship on Sunday mornings? Is it truly out of a Christ-focused devotion? Or is it mainly for some other reason? Maybe even some other good, but nevertheless, lesser reason. Is it mainly about having something to do or being around friends or just being around nice people? Is it mainly about appearing as a good person or to keep mom and dad off your back? Or is it mainly about you feeling fulfilled in some type of self-centered way? Maybe even it's your way to try to cover and hide some guilt or some shame. Brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to do what we do in service to him out of a focused devotion to him above all else. Amen? So in summary, Mark's sandwich has presented us with the conspicuous, costly, and Christ-focused nature of the type of devotion that Jesus calls us to, which leads us all the way back to our initial question, is it worth it? Is the sacrifice that Jesus calls us to be willing to make in devotion to him really worth it? Well, Jesus himself answers that question for us through his response to this woman's act of devotion. And what we see in Jesus' response is him commending her for her devotion, commending her. In verses six through nine, Jesus now drenched From head to toe in that oily fragrance of this woman's devotion stands in the middle of the verbal abuse that's being hurled towards her and says in the beginning of verse six, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Jesus asks. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse seven, the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Clearly, Jesus commends this woman. For her act of devotion. Jesus declares that what she has done is beautiful in his sight. How sweet those words must have been coming from Jesus as she heard them in her ears. And Jesus defends her actions, saying that because the money could have been used for some other greater purpose, right? Some other great purpose like caring for the poor, which of course is really close to Jesus' heart. Sometimes people will take this passage and say, Jesus didn't really care for the poor. That's not what he's doing here, right? You can't read the Gospels and not see that the poor are very close to Jesus' heart. But because she chose instead to spend this gift on him, her actions are actually more praiseworthy, not less. Because all the other things that that money could be used for actually signals how much one values the person to whom the gift is given here's what I mean by that there is a young man that I had the privilege of tutoring for seven years who's actually now a, a freshman in college and before he left for college he gave me a gift a pretty expensive gift at least it's expensive for for me and for him And the gift that he gave me were some of those fancy beat headphones. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. And I know that that young man's only income was just a part-time job at some retail store that probably paid him a little more than minimum wage. And there were surely so many other good things and worthy things that he could have done with that money that he spent to buy that gift for me the fact that he was willing to spend that on me instead of all those other good things communicated to me the high value and the worth that he placed on me in our relationship. And it was this woman alone, not Simon the leper, not even Jesus' other disciples, who recognized Jesus' true worth. She recognized that Jesus was worth it and that he was worth it all. And so what does Jesus do? He commends her for that. But brothers and sisters, ultimately, I believe that Mark wants us to see that the primary reason that Jesus commends this woman For her conspicuous and costly devotion is because it pointed to the conspicuous and costly act of devotion that Jesus was himself on his way to make on the cross. Jesus says in verse 8 that, She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial to prepare for my death, to prepare for for me being the real Passover lamb slaughtered conspicuously on the cross for this woman's sins. But not only for her sins, but all those around the world who would believe. As Jesus continues saying in verse nine, that wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, this story of what Jesus has done Will be told in memory of her. Do you see where Jesus has his eye? He has his eye on the gospel. The good news about his sacrifice being spread to the whole world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus already had Peoples all over the world on his mind in that moment, in that room with oil dripping off his forehead. Jesus had in mind his saving grace being spread beyond that room, beyond Jerusalem and Judea. Out to the rest of the world, to all who would believe. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation from India to Brooklyn to Charlotte. Rich folk and poor folk, black, brown and white folk, all his folk. Jesus had on his mind including you and including me and you know why because to Jesus you are worth it so brothers and sisters whatever sacrifices we make in devotion to Jesus is more than worth it because we were worth it to him As we sang in the very beginning of our worship service, Jesus paid it all, so all to him we owe. Not only out of duty, but out of hearts that ought to be filled with gratitude. But of course, in closing, we have and we do and we will fail at this all the time. We will fail to conspicuously and costly and in a Christ-focused way, give Christ our devotion. I'm a pastor and I fail at it all the time. I chicken out of opportunities to conspicuously display my devotion to Jesus. Sometimes I'm I'm unwilling to pay the cost of displaying my devotion to Jesus. Jesus. And often my service to Jesus isn't purely Christ-focused. It's mixed up with all other kinds of junk, right? Including mainly my own pride. And so I and you, brothers and sisters, must continually realign our eyes on the cross because the cross reminds us of our forgiveness for each and every time we fail in our devotion to Jesus. The cross is our model of what true devotion looks like. The cross is our power to live more faithfully devoted to Jesus and brothers and sisters. The cross is our encouragement that this conspicuous and costly and Christ-focused devotion is worth it because the cross reminds us just how worth it we were and we are to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for declaring us worth it. We know that we have no worth in and of ourselves that would merit your your mercy and your grace, Lord, and and yet you have shown it to us. So, So thank you, Lord. Thank you. And help us, Lord, to live more faithfully devoted to you in whatever conspicuous or costly way you call us to. And help us, Holy Spirit, to keep our eyes glued to the cross for the forgiveness, the model, the power, and the encouragement we need to grow in our devotion to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen.